Robert Baldonado, who sits back there usually, he got called into kids' team this morning uh, all of a sudden, so he's he's covering for us. But his brother Josh, hey, you've heard us pray for him over the last months or so, but he's a missionary in Ukraine, and he's been talking to us about supporting their missions and uh, things like that. Uh, and so I said, Josh, if you found a family that we could individually support and and give to, I think our people would be more interested and involved in that than just like giving to a Ukraine mission fund. And so I want to show you a video real quick of not the family, but one of the leaders that's over there, and he'll talk a little bit about this. We're in the village of Moshun, which is west of Kiev. Around 2,000 homes were damaged or destroyed here. The home behind me belongs to Gena, Valeria, and is it Valentina? Sorry. Valeria. The home behind me belongs to Gena, Valeria, and their son Max. He's seven years old, first grade. In Ukraine, when you want to build a home for yourself, uh, you save for many, many years. You buy a piece of land, you lay a foundation, and then year after year you build a little bit more of the home. The home behind me is an example of that. This family was ready to move into their home uh, when the invasion began a little over a year ago. The roof of their house is completely gone. There's a lot of interior damage. Um, and we're asking, you know, how you can help us to help them. Uh, it's a beautiful area out here. You can see off to the side. You turn around here. The forest behind me is an ideal place for a young boy like Max to grow up and play in the forest and, and uh, build tree houses and have fun with his friends. Sadly, today, uh, children and people in the village are not allowed. They're asked not to go into the, the forest because the landmine clearing operation is still going on. It's expected that that will take up to four years for the entire area of Moshtun. So we're here today to see how we can help this family, how NHUKR can help this family and others like them to reclaim the dreams that they have, the dreams that they have fostered and kindled and built and for so many years. Thank you for your help. Uh, that's not the family that Josh found for us, but that's one of the missionaries that Josh is working with and, and gave us an example. But Josh found us this family, and let me read this to you. And I'll go ahead and throw uh, the, the picture of this couple up there. On February 28th, Validia and his wife Irina were forced to leave their home due to Russian invading their village of Morshin. They found shelter in a neighboring village, Pusha Vadista, where they received a shelter as refugees. Other residents from Morshan and surrounding villages also took shelter there, with about 60 people in, in total living there as refugees. While Validia and Irina were staying in this shelter, their house was destroyed. Russian soldiers occupied their home and vandalized it by breaking windows and doors and causing other interior damage. When Validia and Irina returned, they found mortar shells in their garden. Their greenhouse and barn were burned down. 
There was chaos and devastation everywhere with shattered glass, overturned cabinets, a broken television, scattered and stolen belongings. The couple gradually recovered from the shock and started cleaning up. They began repairing what they could with their own hands. A group of volunteers helped to replace the windows. Currently, Validia and Irina are in a need of a new roof as well as repair of interior walls that were damaged from the debris when the roof was destroyed. Validia and his family spent 30 years building this house. He began construction alongside his father. Everything was built by their own hands. This house is not just a living space. It holds great importance and memories for their family. It is where they find relaxation in nature, which is essential for them, especially for Validia, who has had a heart attack. They also keep a small dog and have a beautiful flower garden. They dug an artificial lake where they used to breed fish before the war. Their parents are buried in the local cemetery not far from the house. Now, despite the poor conditions, the family is living in their damaged house and is in dire need of assistance for restoration. We are asking Levener to sponsor the repairs of this family's home. The cost of repairs is $6,000. This will cover the cost and all labors and materials. So um, you sh- there's one more picture of their house. Like That's the roof that's needed. Uh, so I committed to Josh that we would help, that we could do this. And, you know, Levener has the funds to do that uh, thanks to your giving. If this inspires you to continue to give, uh, the spirit would lead you to do that. You're welcome to give to Levner, and we will contribute. I told him that we would send like $2,000 at a time, and we'd obviously like to see like progression and just let this family become our family over there and uh, encourage them some way. And, and Jeremy, uh, as Jack is like over there in Maui, I think our heart's the same thing with, with Jack and whatever they need. If he needs resources, we would be happy to support the people of Maui through through Jack even so uh just know that when you give here it it doesn't all you know stay right here that we do support missions and we do care about people around the world and the, the thing is to encourage people in the name of Jesus and so that's what we're going to do um so father i pray for Josh and i pray for Validia and Irina that you would just uh rebuild their home and allow them to to get back to a normal life for the whole country of Ukraine as they continue in war, that you would protect them and provide for them. And we know that you're the one that does that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now let's get into Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We just finished one of the greatest chapters uh, in the whole Bible, which was the, the heroes of faith. All these Old Testament characters that uh, somehow have messed up. In some way, there's been some kind of sin or something that we know about their stories, but that's not what rises to the top. What rises to the top is their faith and their trust in God. And because of that, they're mentioned by this author of this letter of Hebrews, whoever it is, that they are people of great faith and have been put on a pedestal. Now he switches gears. Remember, he's trying to encourage these Jewish believers in Jesus to remain in the faith of what they've learned and know because they're being pressured. They're being uh, threatened by other Jews to go back to the faith and go back to doing sacrifices at the temple and and everything else. And he's encouraging them, no, stick with what you know. So he's moving from these Old Testament faithful 
people now to like, let's focus on Jesus. Let's, let's, let's focus on what's important. And if there's any one message I'm going to give right here in this room right here is focus on Jesus. Because we can easily get distracted with all the stuff going on in our lives. Verse 1, it says, in chapter 12, Therefore, since we also have such a large crowd of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. What a great passage of scripture here. And it sounds like there's a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, like there's people standing around watching what we're doing. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that these people that I've just talked about, we witness them We've witnessed them live their lives where they've failed, where they've failed, where they've struggled, where they've gone through hard times, yet they've come out on top because of their faith. We have great examples. We have great examples. The author's writing to these Hebrew Christians who are, are just being threatened. He's like, look, there's people all along that have been threatened and been through stuff. Let these people encourage you as you watch them and as we've watched them over the years in their stories. And he says this, that we need to like build endurance, run endurance, the race that lies before us. You know, uh, one of the best ways to develop endurance and encouragement is probably to get to know godly men and women. Uh, I think that is a part of what this group is all about is community is being able to look at those around us who struggle go through issues and watch how their faith in God carries them through every one of us are going to go through issues in here every one of us is going to go through stuff and I I encourage you watch those around you if you want endurance just like these people that are dealing with issues, go back and look. If you're having problems with your family, maybe you just ought to go and study about Joseph. If you think your job is too big for you, maybe you should go read about Moses. If you're tempted to retaliate or to get revenge, why don't you go check and see how David handled that problem. The whole thing about running with endurance, he's like saying, take off the things that ensnare us. Lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. This bulk, this burden that we carry, the, the race is not going to be run unless there's a willingness to lay aside these things that burden us. I always go back to... Uh, a Christmas story and Randy and him dressed up in his uh, you gotta yeah that guy <laughs> it's like guys guys help me up you know when he falls down in the snow and, and and I think about this verse like here is if you can just take that stuff off it, it's the burdens it's the stuff that not only people create around us but we even created ourselves with our own bad decisions and then you, you, have to do, you have to deal with it. 
A, a winning athlete does not choose between the good and the bad. They literally choose between the better and the best. What's the best that I can do for myself? And I'm assuming that the writer most likely was referring to the sin of returning to Judaism for these Hebrew Christians. Don't go back there. That's just sin. If you don't believe what Jesus has done for you, you're going to struggle. And then, verse 2, you hear us say all the time around here, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Stay focused on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We have fastballs coming at us all the time, right? It's like in the, in the form of thoughts. And there's like literally two different pitchers that are throwing these fastballs. One has to do with what Matt was talking about is just like the focus on works and sins, which is behavior. And then the other fastball that's coming that sometimes we just don't even see or we ignore is that God is teaching us that we're perfect that we're holy, that we're righteous, that we're redeemed. So I've got all this coming at me. You hear this every week, Sunday mornings. It's like teach through 66 books, but you always hear, hey, you're perfect, you're, you're forgiven, you're holy, you're righteous, you're redeemed. Those fastballs come, but why do we listen to the other ones? Why, why do we entertain those thoughts? And all he's saying to these people is like, just focus on Jesus. I know, I know you got chaos going on in your life. I know things are happening. But you can focus on the sin, you can focus on the junk, but you're not going to win that game. Like, you've tried to manage your sin. And you ask that question, well, how's that working for you? If you try to manage it, you're going to struggle with it your whole life. But, I believe you don't overcome the problem by focusing on the problem. You overcome the problem by focusing on Jesus. That's it. Because honestly, in your own strength, in your own flesh, you've already proven you can't do it. You've already proven it. So now, so now you need somebody to do it for you, and that comes in the form of Jesus. You overcome the problem by focusing on the victory of Jesus. And then it says this. The whole joy, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. But before that, he says, for the joy that lay before him. The joy that lay before him. Let me tell you this. Joy is not happiness. <laughs> happiness is an emotion. Joy is a state of being. Joy is accessible to the believer when happiness is, is not around. Happiness may take a vacation, but I, some reason, for some reason, still have joy, and that's because of what I have in me. And it's the same thing for the Hebrew Christians. In verse 3 says this, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. It was easier for them to remember what Jesus endured because they lived during that period. 
if this is before 70 AD and Jesus died somewhere around 30 AD, they're within 40 years of Jesus' experience here on earth and him dying on the cross. Yeah, people were talking about it all the time. We're now like 2,000 years after. That whole relativity that they got to experience, you don't get to experience. I believe that the Spirit allows us to teach and to learn and have the same consideration that they had at that time because he lives within us. And then I think about the, the hostility that Christ experienced. One of my favorite places to go in Israel is the Garden of Gethsemane. Because we're typically allowed a time to sit in there and just to like meditate and to think and especially if you go with your family. And you can't help but sit there and think, this is where Jesus was getting hammered. Like like up here. The night before he was to go on the cross, he was asking the disciples who were nearby to stay up and pray with them. And he would stay there and he sweated blood and he'd go back over there and found them asleep the time that he needed them. It was one of the times where he was able to understand the, the, the flesh that we're living in and endure such hostility. Jesus understood what these Hebrew Christians were going through. It says in verse 4, In struggling against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. None of the Hebrew Christians at this point had lost any of their relatives. And therefore, they weren't necessarily a part of the church in Jerusalem because they hadn't lost any relatives. And we know that Stephen and James had already become martyrs at this point. So they hadn't experienced the whole shedding of blood thing at this point. He says in verse 5, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes. In some of your translations, it even says scourges. He punishes every son he receives. This is a direct quote from Proverbs in the Old Testament, chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Okay, now we've just opened up a can of worms. Does the Lord discipline? I'll say this. When I think about the word discipline, when I think about the word discipline, I think as a child, I think about a physical discipline. Like, I'll tell you, I got spanked. I got spanked by teachers. I got spanked by my mom. I got spanked. So when I think about the word discipline, and I get it now, it's like, oh, you can't spank now. I, I know the whole, you got both sides going so growing up, that was what the word discipline mean to me. And then you get to seminary and church and all that and become a mature adult and the word discipline all of a sudden changes to doing the disciplines of uh, behavior. Like I have to get up and read my Bible, I have to get up and pray, I have to do this and I have to do that and now all of a sudden I've got spiritual disciplines. That whole word kind of changed on me from a kid, 
from a physical discipline to a spiritual discipline. So again, we go back to this passage of Scripture and go, well, what does that mean? That whole word, if you go back, punishes is padia in the Greek form, and it, it literally can mean anything between training and corporal punishment. So now you've got this broad Greek word in there, and people are interpreting it in so many different ways as they read the Bible. Discipline means to train, means to educate, means to nurture, means to correct a child. It can mean many things. Sounds like I'm dancing around this, doesn't it? Well, I'm not. I'm trying to figure out how to make this verse work with what I believe about the 66 books and what I'm learning about God. How does this work? It's literally, it refers to education in a, in a Greek tradition to discipline by punishment in Hebrew tradition. So Greek says education. Hebrew says it's more punishment. But again, it's New Testament. The writer viewed the trials of the Christian life as spiritual discipline that can help a, a believer mature. So no matter what, no matter what the word discipline is interpreted here, the intention is for growth. Like, you got discipline as a kid, it was hopefully intended for you to learn and to grow in your decisions. If it's spiritual maturity, it's like, hey, you, you learn about the Lord, and you may learn by taking some bumps and bruises, but uh, you learn. I don't think that when he's talking about discipline here, he's talking about wrathful punishment. Because why? Because, one, it says, my son. It says, my son those that that means those he's punishing the believers he's disciplining disciplining the believers he doesn't discipline the non-believers he disciplines us like i am a child of god luke have i ever disciplined your kids no have you disciplined my kids <laughs> he said no no i don't discipline other people's kids and they don't discipline my kids so who disciplines God's kids? God does. And he only does his kids. And so you look at this, I believe God's wrath, which is not for his kids, but it's for non-believers. It's not the verse that we're talking about right here. God's discipline for us is because he simply loves us. If I have to discipline my child, it's because I love them. And you know how many times you've said, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And they don't understand that, but the fact that I have to like discipline my kids. And here's the big thing I'll say for parents. God doesn't always come in and rescue us from our logical negative consequences. I feel sorry for uh, teachers nowadays because it seems like that's what parents are doing. Is coming in and rescuing their own kids. Man, when I got in trouble in school, you knew I was getting in trouble at home. And I think that people, ask, we had this whole conversation this morning, well, does, 
God allow bad things to happen to good people? And does God allow, God allow? That's a, that's a hard one for me to absorb. And I, I, we went into a theological depth uh, this morning about it. I think when God allows, it was attached to God giving us a free will. And I know this is kind of deep, and it's, I'm kind of chasing a rabbit here, but uh, when God allowed, he attached it to free will. Well, when did he give us free will? He gave us free will back in the beginning. Like, you, you choose to love me, you choose to do things in the flesh, or you choose to do things in the spirit, then logical negative consequences are going to happen if you choose to do things in the flesh. So I honestly believe that back at creation, he allowed free will. And he allowed things to happen to us that hopefully we learn from. And he doesn't always come in and rescue me. Sometimes I'm praying, I'm begging for him to rescue me. And sometimes it's not even rescuing me from my own choices, but from somebody else's choices around me. Like, I get impacted by your choices. <laughs> you get impacted by my choices. <laughs> uh, my daughter's 24 years old and sitting back there at the bar. Uh, I don't physically discipline my 24-year-old daughter. Uh, and so I even have a hard time teaching my 24-year-old daughter. And I've, lear- I've learned that I can't force my teaching on my daughter. Now that she's at this age, if I'm going to teach her, she has to come to me and ask me. And I think as we spiritually mature and grow that it becomes the same, the same way is that we literally have to go to the Lord and say, okay, teach me, give me wisdom, I'm going to trust you. Just like I do uh, with Chloe and Corey, who's 29, I want to protect them. I'll do everything that I can protect them. Hey, you know that on your car you've got a recall here. Yeah, I know. But I release them and I trust them. And I've let my kids fail. I've let my kids fail. And I've watched them go through the logical negative consequences of their choices. But I'm always there. I'm always there. All you have to do is call me. And if you want help, I'll be glad to help you. I'm not going to rescue you, but I'll help you. You'll always struggle with this whole concept if you don't know your identity in Jesus Christ. You will. Discipline. So you, you, you read that verse and I go, yeah, God disciplines me. And basically, it's me choosing to walk in the spirit or walk in my flesh. And when I walk in the flesh, I make bad choices and I suffer the logical negative consequences of those. And because of that, I learn and I grow. And if I keep bumping my head on the same thing over and over and over, obviously I'm not growing. I'm not learning. 
And it's probably because I have my eyes on myself rather than Jesus. I, he goes back to that. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Stay focused on Jesus. If I focus on myself, I'm probably going to struggle. Verse 7, he says, Endure suffering as discipline. Ah, the logical negative consequences. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? This, when I get disciplined by the Lord, when I get punished, whenever I learn or whatever, you know what that tells me? I'm a child of God. Because he only does it to the children, his own children. So it's confirming my sonship. But if you're without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. It's just another way of identifying believers from non-believers. And he goes back to the question that you always ask, well, why do bad things happen to Christians? Why do bad things happen to God's people? But it seems like those that aren't God's children, good things always happen to them. No, it's not true. That's just a lie you're dealing with. Bad things happen to them. There's logical negative consequences for their decisions as well. But I'm able to spiritually grow from what I'm learning. Verse 9, it says, Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? A child who is disciplined properly. I realize that some of you have had bad experiences with their earthly fathers. I get it. It's in this room. There's abuse, physical, verbal, emotional. I get it. And I'm really sorry. Because it was never intended to be that way. Yeah, it was intended for you to be disciplined properly and with respect from the parents. I, I used to yell at my kids, and I think it was Corey when he was like 11 or 12 years old. He's like, you think that I'm going to listen to you when you yell at me but it causes me not to listen to you. My 12-year-old son says, and I learned, and I quit yelling at my kids. I can, I can discipline my kids talking like this the same way that I can yell at them. And I try to like write it off like, well, you know, if you don't get out of bed after the sixth time of me talking calmly to you, I learned to get the leaf blower out, cold water out. <laughs> it's, it's hard. Parenting's hard. It's hard. But even if you had proper discipline from your earthly father, what more from your heavenly father? the discipline that comes. Verse 10, it says, for they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. Yeah, parents are not handed instruction books and told how to parent. It seemed good at the time. 
but he does it for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. My kids are, are gone. We're empty nesters. They were under our roof for a short time. And this is encouraging to see that word seemed in there. <laughs> it seemed like a good thing when I was disciplining and raising them. Uh, and I thank God for where they are now. But again, I, I look at this and it says, but he does it for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. God's discipline is actually perfect. He desires for us to walk in a holy manner. And I'll say it again, i say it in here. God's will for your life is the same that it is for my life. I know I'm the pastor, whatever, the shepherd, the preacher, whatever, teacher. But the will of God for my life is the same thing that it is for yours, to walk by his spirit. That's it. Walk by his spirit. Yeah, it plays out different. But just walk by his spirit. The last few verses here, I'll stop in the middle of this chapter. It says, no discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. And later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I haven't been disciplined by a parent in a long time. Uh, but I think about the pain that I, I experience today, the, the physical pain. Just like working out, working out, uh, and then like two days later I can't even get off the couch. It hurts so bad. And they ask, well, is it a good pain or a bad pain? Well, it's a good pain. It's a good pain because I worked out. Well, why is it a good pain? Because I help my body get better. So no discipline seems enjoyable at the time. Like sometimes it's just hard. God's discipline, or let's call it God's training, brings this understanding of righteousness. The more that you know God, the more that you know about him, the more you know, the more you figure out how righteous you are, how holy you are, how perfect you are, how good you are, that you're a good person. No matter what anybody says about you, even if it's a parent, you're a good person. And when you begin to like live out of that, when you begin to live out of that mindset, all of a sudden your behaviors change. And the stuff that you're dealing with doesn't necessarily matter as much. When you behave out of your righteousness, then you're going to start to experience peace in your life. And you're going to quit worrying about the crap that's happened around you. And you go back to that saying, it's like, stay focused on Jesus, seek Jesus. It's the only thing that softens the stuff that's happening around us. And the last two verses, therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet so that is what is lame may not be dislocated but healed instead. I believe in this community, Levener community, we run in a pack. We run in a pack. And it's really to encourage one another. 
I sat with uh, four high school guys Wednesday night, and we talked about these two passages of Scripture, these two verses right here. Three of them, I think, were seniors in the youth group. And that was all that was there Wednesday night. And I'm like, I'm like, LJ, who, who, who led the path for you when you were in high school? He's like, Caleb Tyner. Caleb Tyner. I'm like, do you realize that you're a senior and that these younger students are like looking up to you guys? So when it says, strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame, those that are not figuring this thing out. Look, in this room we have people that have a good concept of who they are in Christ and we have others that are struggling. And so when I say we run in a pack, I'm literally saying we're clearing the path so other people can see their identity in Christ. I I am not responsible for you understanding and seeing your identity in Christ, but I'm going to clear the path so that the Holy Spirit can cause you to see it. And when he does, it changes everything. So I get it. Some of you are struggling. I get it. You know, you take this whole grace thing and yada, yada, and you just do whatever you want or you come to center. But there's people all around us right here. If we stay in this pack together, we're going we're gonna to do well. Yeah, I get it. Some are going to drop out. I see it. They drop out. Sometimes they get back in the race. They never lose their salvation. This is not a salvation question. They just don't get to experience the living a spirit-filled life even though they have the capability. Just saying uh, to these guys, it's like when it says don't grieve the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's not focused on your sin because he's already dealt with your sin that that issue is like a done deal when jesus says he sat down on the throne the right hand of god he's like it's finished it's over it's a done deal now you've got this spirit that's like literally walking in this room and these people and you've you've got it inside of you and you have the, the ability to live this incredible life because a holy living god is inside of you and if you choose to walk by your flesh, you're totally missing out. And it's like, Holy Spirit's like, oh man, I gave them a cape and they're walking with a cane. That was a good one. <laughs> it's when you know the Spirit's working through you. It's an adventure. It's an absolute adventure. Trust me. And the discipline... I think I welcome it at this stage of my life. I didn't at one point, but the concept of discipline has changed in me. If that's what it takes for me to grow is to uh, deal with logical negative consequences of my decisions and everybody else's decisions around me, all right, God, let's go. And, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. He's always there with me. He's always there with me. Lord, I, I trust that... Um, Today, your word somehow has come alive in, in the hearts 
of your people. And that we really, as a group, as a community, can, can walk together in the, in the joy, the joy of all this, and know that there's like stuff going on in the world, and our friends in Ukraine, and Maui, and just the junk of life, that there is joy in you. And that uh, I know there's hurting hearts in here. I know it. I know what's going on. You know it even better. That we can stay focused on you, that we can fix our eyes on you. That's my prayer this week. In Jesus' name, amen.